The following message is by Pastor John Piper. More information from Desiring God is available at www.desiringgod.org. The sermon text for today's sermon is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 24 through 45. Luke 1, 24 through 45. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach among the people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Before I pray, I want to thank publicly uh, Jason French, who wrote and sang the song, I'm Holding a Miracle, and put together the DVD that you saw on all the campuses a few minutes ago and want to let you know that it would be a great ministry for you to get one of those. They will be available afterwards and uh, use it yourself for your own uh, encouragement or to give it to others. So uh, my understanding is that it would be appreciated if you made a donation which would go straight to the crisis pregnancy centers that we support but I think it's kind of a whatever-you-can-afford thing. So uh, on all the campuses, thank you, Jason, very much for your gift to us. It was a beautiful song. Let's pray. Now, Father, as we move into the Word concerning the womb and the babies that are in it, I want to pray for women and men in this room who have 
experienced abortion. This is a sin that men and women are involved in together. And I pray for the men and the women who in this room, on all these campuses, have been there and who are deeply sorry. And I pray that they would taste in this service, which is magnifying the beauty of the children in the womb. I pray that they would experience profound forgiveness and peace that passes all understanding. And that you would grant them both, male and female, a calling on their lives to act on behalf of life. And now, Lord, I ask for your help in order to be faithful to this passage of Scripture, which is your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. The aim of this message is that God would stir up in your hearts an awakened and an intensified, joyful, grateful reverence for the gift of human life from conception to eternity. The beginning of human life is a magnificent thing. There's nothing like it. Only humans come into being day after day created in the image of God to live forever with God or in hell. Only humans. There's no compelling evidence in the Bible or anywhere else that any animals come into being with souls or live after they die. There's no compelling evidence in the Bible or anywhere else that any angels are being created these days. The only being in all the universe who keeps on originating in the image of God and living forever is this glorious being called man. In the beginning, Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Chapter 5, verse 3, Adam fathered a son in his own likeness after his own image and named him Seth. And the point of that verse is to show that what was begun with Adam and Eve continues generation after generation. It's not just the first pair that is in the image of the living God. It goes on from generation to generation. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, Noah, warned by God, 
Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So even after the flood, with all the rampant evil in the world, God is saying, all men are in my image. It goes on from generation to generation. James chapter 3, verse 9 With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are in the likeness of God. Brothers, these things ought not to be so. So from the beginning, right on through every generation, into James, down to our very day, if you are human, you are in the image of God. It may be defaced. It may be deformed. You may be in rebellion against it. That's who you are. You are created in the image of God. And you're the only being that keeps on producing such beings. Amazing. The origin of human life is a magnificent thing. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the handiwork, the stars and the moon that you have made, what is man that you should care for him and the son of man that you should consider him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have put all things under his feet, and you have given him dominion over the works of your hands. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What a being you are. And no other being goes on originating beings in the image of God who will live forever. The origin of human life is a majestic and magnificent thing. Amazing. So I pray that the effect of this message will be to awaken and intensify a joyful, thankful reverence for the gift of human life from conception to eternity. That's what I'm praying, and that's my aim. It's a magnificent thing. The only newly originating life in the universe that comes in the image of God is man. The only newly originating life in the universe that lasts forever is man. This is an awesome thing. And as everyone knows, that reverence is not shared by our new president, over whom we have rejoiced. He is trapped and blind in a culture of deceit. 
And on the 36th anniversary of Roe v. Wade last Thursday, he released this statement. We are reminded that this decision not only protects women's health and reproductive freedom, but stands for a broader principle that government should not intrude on our most private family matters. To which I say, no, Mr. President. You are not protecting women. You are authorizing the destruction of 500,000 little women every year. No, Mr. President, you are not protecting reproductive freedom. You are authorizing the destruction of freedom for one million little human beings every year. No, Mr. President, killing our children is killing our children no matter how many times you say it is a private family matter. You may say it is a private family matter over and over and over and still they are dead and we killed them and you would have it remain legal, Mr. President. Some of us wept for joy at your inauguration. And we pledge that we will pray for you. We have hope in our sovereign God that you will look at your little girls and it will stick in your throat to want reproductive freedom for their sexual lives. You don't want that, Barack Obama. You want them chaste, holy, married, healthy, bearing children, not carrying condoms in their purses. Yes, you do, Mr. President. That is what you want. Be courageous. You don't have to be the lap dog of those around you. You can stand for your daughters and the rest of us who don't have your power. We will pray for you and we will believe that God will change your heart and we will be the happiest people on the planet that you are president. This is Sanctity of Life Sunday at Bethlehem. And we are talking about the wonder of human beings in the womb and the moral question of whether it's right to kill them before they are born. Until recently, the whole Christian church knew the answer to that. It was crystal clear. It's wrong to do that. Abortion in the Christian church has been wrong from the beginning. There are a couple of documents. One's called the Didache and one's called the Epistle to Barnabas, which, was, which were written right around the turn of the first century, sometime between 90 and 140. 
A.D. And just read you a quote from from the Didache. This is this is not any big controversy about these documents. They're just there. Anybody can read them online. You can go there. Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E. You can find it. Um, and Didache, chapter two, verse two says, "You shall do no murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not corrupt boys." You shall not commit fornication. You shall not steal. You shall not deal in magic. You shall do no sorcery. You shall not murder a child by abortion nor kill them when they are born. So that's from the first part of the second century or the end of the first century. One of the first documents written outside the New Testament to draw out the implications of the New Testament. So the question for us is not that the Didache has authority for us, but it learns something like that from the New Testament. Why? When you read the New Testament, you see that. I do, and I just want to help you see what I see. So, let's go to the Bible, because my opinions, the President's opinions don't matter. God's opinion matters infinitely. When human life comes into existence, something magnificent is happening. And we should handle it with great reverence. Job, I'm just going to give you a few bullets and then we're going to go to our text. Job was a pointer for the Didache and for, for the early Christians. Do you remember what happened? The wind blew and it brought the building down and all ten of his children were killed. Adult children, they were killed. And when he heard the news, he fell on his face and he worshipped God and he said... The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave. What does that mean? That means the, the birth of a child is, is God's giving a child to you. This is God's gift. He gave the children and he took them. And the early church and all Christians have, have said... This is God's rights. God's rights is in the giving. God's rights is in the taking. Therefore, we keep our hands off. This is God's business, not ours. Or the text that was in the DVD, Psalm 139.13. You formed my inward parts talking to God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. What's happening in the womb is the handiwork of God, knitting. I've seen my daughter-in-law knit with four needles at the same time. That's amazing to me. Well, God knits he knits. That, the point there is he's intimately involved in forming and shaping. He's not like a deistic God on the other side of the planet with natural laws set in motion. When a human being in the image of God is coming into being, he's doing it. And therefore the Christian church has backed away and said, you don't intrude upon the intimate knitting work of God as though you have rights to intrude upon his precious work. The pointer that I want us to look at in detail is in Luke chapter 1. 
So if you want to turn there with me, again, if you closed your Bible, I'd like you to do it. You get a glimpse into the womb in several places in the Bible. There are a couple in Genesis. There's one here. There aren't many, but there are a few glimpses into the womb and how the Bible thinks about the womb and what's happening in the womb. You've got Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament, for example, and it says two nations were struggling in the womb with each other, these twin boys. But here, the situation is this. Elizabeth and Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth the mother of John the Baptist, Elizabeth and Mary are both given a child, and they are both miraculous pregnancies. Elizabeth, because she's old and has always been barren, Luke tells us, and now she's pregnant. And Mary, because she's a virgin, and virgins don't have babies. It's a good way not to have babies. Stay a virgin. That's the biblical way. I hope men and women in this room value virginity and are not ashamed of it. Not to have sex until you're married is a magnificent thing. And if they scoff at you at the university or at the high school, water off a duck's back. You're keying off God, not dogs in heat. The Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, and the baby that she's carrying is the Son of God, holy. Let's go to verse 24. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 24. After these days, Zechariah's wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, and then it goes on. And then in verse 26, in the sixth month, so now she's about 24 weeks along. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. And then Mary becomes pregnant by virtue of the Holy Spirit, it says. So Elizabeth is 24 weeks along. Mary is now newly pregnant. Now, in verses 36 to 37, the angel says to Mary something to encourage her in the impossible pregnancy that she is anticipating having. It's impossible. You can't be pregnant if you're a virgin. And so the angel says to her in verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So she was barren and she's old. She's not having a period anymore. Can't have a baby. So she's miraculous. You can be miraculous. Nothing will be impossible with God, it says. He gives, he takes, he provides in abundance and he sustains in loss. So now the angel's gone, and Mary makes a beeline to Elizabeth. What a meeting. The 
two most important pregnancies in the world. <laughs> and both of them miraculous, what these women will talk about. My, my. Verse 39, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. <laughs> mm. Now, of course, this is not a text about abortion, right? We all know that. This is not written about abortion. However, it is written with certain assumptions and certain implications. And the assumptions of biblical writers and the implications of biblical writers are worth taking pretty seriously. And I think there are huge assumptions that we need to embrace, and there are huge implications that we need to embrace. Let's look at two of these things. Number one, the word baby. You might think that's insignificant at first. It's not insignificant. Verse 41 and 44. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now that word baby is an ordinary word for baby. It has no connotations whatsoever of embryo or zygote or whatever those other words are, fetus. It just means baby. And the way you can know that is by looking at chapter 2, verse 16. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, exactly the same word, exactly the same form of the word, brephos, lying in a manger, not in a womb. So, The Christian church has seen in this that what the persons, Jesus and John, were outside the womb, they were already inside the womb. They were a baby. Jesus was the God-man in Mary's womb. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and caused her to conceive What was that? The Holy Spirit is causing her to conceive a... This is God. Zygote. Or God-man. This is God moving in there 
and taking residence incarnate in the womb of Mary. It's a baby inside, just like it was a baby outside. Jesus in the manger is called a baby. John in the womb is called a baby. That's the assumption behind biblical thinking. Not separate things. Like when it's out, it's baby. When it's in, it's embryo. That's not the way the Bible thinks. And now, science, as it so often does, has made this easier to believe, not harder. Not only do you have ultrasounds, but you have internal ultrasounds. There are photographs that are so spectacular, it absolutely blows your mind away. At eight weeks, this little baby is sucking his thumb, recoiling from pricking, responding to sound. All the organs are present. The brain is functioning. The heart is pumping. The liver is making blood. The kidneys are cleaning the fluids. There is a fingerprint. And virtually all abortions are done after that. Reason, I got out my little book called Yes Neon Survival Kit produced by United Way that tells horrible things for young people to do. And one of them is, if you need an abortion, don't get it before six weeks. It's harder that way. Baby's not discernible enough. So abortionists want later abortions. They don't want to go beyond 13 weeks if they can help it. But between 6 and 13 would be the ideal time to kill the baby because you can see it so clearly and small enough that you can manage it better. So science has enabled us to see that 99% of the little ones who are being chopped in pieces are... If our little, our little daughters saw them, they would think, it's like a little, what is that? A little baby. That's the first thing, the word baby. Here's the second thing. How did this baby respond to the presence of Jesus and Mary in the womb? Verse 41 when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And in verse 44, Elizabeth interprets that leap. See, so first there's a leap. Anybody can feel a leap. But now she interprets the leap like this. Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. How'd she know that? She knew it because she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? That's, that's Luke's point here. At the end of verse 41, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed. So the point is, the Holy Spirit is awakening and moving Elizabeth to speak about this leap the way she does. This is not her emotional opinion. There's more. If you go back to chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, the angel says to the father of this baby, John the Baptist, his name is Zechariah, 
says this, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He's talking about John the Baptist, this little baby in Elizabeth's womb. He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. So she's not far off when she says that he has the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Joy. This baby leaped for joy. This baby is fulfilling the prophecy given to Zechariah that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Now, what are we going to make of this? What do you make of this? A baby leaping for joy and a baby being filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Never in the Bible is any animal said to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Goat, donkey. No, no animal is filled with the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Bible is any arm or leg or kidney or skin filled with the Holy Spirit. Tissue is not filled with the Holy Spirit. There's only one being filled with the Holy Spirit. Man. Human beings are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not stuff. Wood, fingers. People, souls, spirits are filled with the Holy Spirit. So, uh, what Luke is doing in writing here as an inspired spokesman of Jesus is treating this child like a person. That's what's happening. He's treating him like a person. He uses the word baby, which he uses for Jesus in the manger. He uses the word joy, which is what persons feel, not animals or tissue. He uses the term filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what God does to persons. And the least, let's just say the least we can infer is he's treating him like a person. And so should we. Conclusion. So should we. The beginning of human life is a magnificent thing. It's the work of God in the womb. It's God forming a person in his own image that will live forever with him or in hell. O Bethlehem and beyond, may the Lord grant a joyful, grateful, intense, deep, strong reverence for the beginning of human life. From conception and then all the way to eternity, may you and I never cease to be amazed at being human at the origins of human life in the image of God. May we never, ever cease to be stunned at the reality of children. Do you hear the children crying? 
I can hear them every day, crying, sighing, dying, flying somewhere safe where they can play. Somewhere safe from all the dangers. Somewhere safe from crack and AIDS. Safe from lust and lurking strangers. Safe from war and bombing raids. Somewhere safe from malnutrition. Safe from daddy's damning voice. Safe from mommy's cool ambition. Safe from deadly goddess choice. Do you hear the children crying? I can hear them every day, crying, sighing, dying, flying somewhere safe where they can play. Do you see the children meeting? I can see them in the sky, meeting, eating, meeting, greeting Jesus with the answer, why? Why the milk no longer nourished? Why the water made them sick? Why the crops no longer flourished? Why the belly got so thick. Why they never knew the reason friends had vanished out of sight. Why some suffered for a season others never saw the light. Do you see the children meeting? I can see them in the sky, meeting, eating, meeting, greeting Jesus with the answer why. Do you hear the children singing? I can hear them high above, singing, springing, ringing, bringing glory to the God of love, glory for the gift of living, glory for the end of pain, glory for the gift of giving, glory to eternal for eternal gain, glory from the ones forsaken, glory from the lost and lone, glory when the infants waken, orphans on the Father's throne. Do you hear the children singing? I can hear them high above, singing, springing, ringing, bringing glory to the God of love. Do you hear the children coming? I can see them on the clouds, coming, strumming, drumming, humming songs with heaven's happy crowds, songs with lots of happy clapping, songs that set the heart on fire, songs that make your foot start tapping, songs that make a merry choir, songs so loud the mountains tremble, songs so pure the canyons ring, when the children all assemble, millions, millions round the king. Do you see the children coming? I can see them on the clouds coming, strumming, drumming, humming, songs with heaven's happy crowds. Do you see the children waiting? I can see them all aglow, waiting, 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 waiting. Who of us will rise and go? Will we turn and fly to meet them? Will we venture something new? I intend to rise and greet them. Come and go with me, would you? Father, we've sung it, we've preached it, we've read it, we've felt it. And now, oh God, would you do it. A deep, intense, awakened, intensified, joyful, Grateful, 
reverence for the gift of human life. From conception to eternity. This is a magnificent thing. Awaken your people. And may we open our mouths and speak. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by John Piper, pastor for preaching at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit Desiring God online at www.desiringgod.org. There you'll find hundreds of sermons, articles, radio broadcasts, and much more, all available to you at no charge. Our online store carries all of Pastor John's books, audio, and video resources. You can also stay up to date on what's new at Desiring God. Again, our website is www.desiringgod.org. Or call us toll-free at 1-888-346-4700. Our mailing address is Desiring God, 2601 East Franklin Avenue, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55406. Desiring God exists to help you make God your treasure, because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him.